My name is Anja Karwowska and I'm the host of this amazing podcast, Get Unstuck with Your English. If you are a neurodivergent person, struggling with learning the language, tend to procrastinate too much, or maybe you have so many goals you get lost right on the bed, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you have come to the right place, my friend. I'll teach you how to apply cognitive science and evidence-based methods to your learning. I will walk you through the learning plateau. If you're scared to talk, the vocabulary evaporates your mind, have been studying for ages, following shiny objects, binge-watching Netflix, hoping that the knowledge will cross your head first Moses. If so, I'm here to help you. I'll show you how to study and tackle the language, and most importantly, how to make it stick. I'm inviting you on the journey with me. Let's add a science sprinkle to your learning. Good morning on this beautiful day for some of us, for some of us early in the morning. It's me, Aya Karwowska. I'm broadcasting from Canadian-American border. So we know, maybe we don't know. Uh, October is Dyslexia Month or Dyslexia Awareness Month. It's market rate for dyslexia. So I've decided to touch this subject, but I will talk about it from a different angle. I'll be talking about dyslexic ESL students, bilingual and multilingual. I know that this differ a bit. However, just for the purpose of my podcast and that I just want to give you the fundamental information because it's such a wide subject, I will not be focusing on them separately. However, I know there are differences. So we all know what is dyslexia, right? Or we should know. It has been around for so many years. The research has been around since the 60s, so we should know. However, it's not that obvious. So maybe let me start. What is dyslexia? Authors and scientists call it a learning disability which affects skills involved in reading, spelling, and writing. However, some and I'm more uh, willing to lean into them, say that it's a neurobiological condition and that's how we'd call it. First things first, that episode is very emotional to me on many different levels. So first of all, I'm a parent of a bilingual dyslexic child. So if you're a parent and you're listening to me, I've been there and I feel you really. I it's been a very challenging road at the very beginning. Fortunately, I have the skills and resources and the knowledge to have my child. And the second reason being is that when I arrived in Canada and I wanted to give back to the community and do some volunteering um, to have some recognition, right? Because I was a new person here. I started working um, as a literacy intervention tutor and um, I have imagined that I would work with refugees, people who had um, disturbed learning journey due to war or displacement. However, as it turned out, the majority of my clients, or not kids, but teenagers and adults that I've been working with, were adults who went through education and could not read or write. And the reason was that they were dyslexic, but they have not been diagnosed. So that came as a huge shock to me. And I guess that that's where all my involvement and passion for working and te- with people with learning difficulties and teaching teachers how to work with <laughs> students with, with dyslexia and ADHD started. So why am I focusing on bilingualism, multilingualism and uh, English as a second language and dyslexia? Well. According to the research, uh, dyslexic ESL bilingual multilingual students are identified at least, and I'm saying at least, so it may be more, four years than the monolingual peers. And there is a lot of research in both on monolingual dyslexic kids. Not so much when it comes to multilingual, let's say, bilingual kids. 
that's why I've decided to talk about it and just shed some light on the problem. And at the end, I will provide you with some resources, especially if you're a parent who's struggling. Maybe you cannot afford to hire a tutor. Maybe you are on the waiting list. Maybe your kid is not yet diagnosed. Maybe you're a teacher and you cannot afford to buy all the resources or you don't have the time to dive into everything. Let's wait till the end of the episode because I'll be sharing some exciting news. So let's start. First, I would like to start with the language of instruction. So there is a certain movement and I think even though the research has been around for 40 years and we, as we all know it, however, it does not, let's say, go into the education field very quickly. And it's even worse when it comes to the ELT, education system. So dyslexic ESL students in Berlin, multilingual, let me just put dyslexic ESL in general, or are not receiving science-aligned instructions at school. And that's very sad. I know that uh, certain figures in the ELT industry or ELT education perpetrate that education, uh, whereas others' researchers are not as popular. So that's the first part, the whole reading or expecting student just to read or to give him or her accommodation instead of structured details instruction. That's the first problem that we um, encounter in the classroom. Second of all, we talk about, I've been talking about language myths and reality myths. Whenever I have audited, seen, taken part in zillion of courses when it comes to dyslexia and dyslexia and ELC students. So uh, the biggest problem is that when there is a course or when we're talking about dyslexia and ESL, students or bilingual students, uh, generally uh, the first advice is to give uh, provide them with print with dyslexic funds, which dyslexic funds has not been supported by science. There's no research supporting that claim. Quite on the contrary. And the second is color overlays, which again, it is not supported by science. There's the research that proves that color overlay, sorry, does not work. So it might be your preference, that's beautiful. However, you shouldn't offer it in a classroom and think that, oh yes, this will help your student. So what's the other problem? The other problem is that very often teachers do not know the first language of the student or the student does not have or his, his or her family does not have access to speech language pathologist who is bilingual so as to say right and who can diagnose the child. And another problem is that very often stu dyslexic students have problems with working memory and sequencing. By that I mean that the response time it's longer that they get confused with writing on the page, they get confused when they are overwhelmed with material, where the information is way too long and they just don't remember what has been said at the very beginning. So that's why lots of teachers think, oh, oh, it must be intellectual disability, which is not true. So that's another problem. And another problem is that very often in the ESL or ELT classroom, we talk about learning to read, right? Especially with older kids. Oh, so the students are learning whole words instead of going to the very basics, which means graphing phoneme correspondence. So because they do not know the language as a system, it becomes even more ambiguous and they can't grasp it because it's like teaching them some abstract language. However, however, there are ways to deal with it and I'll be talking about it in a minute. What can we do in the dyslexic or ESL classroom with a bilingual students? So first thing first, you have to go back to the basics, as I said, graphing phoneme correspondence. Second of all, dyslexic students can learn another language. They can be good at spelling. Third of all, dyslexia is a very vast subject, so we can have developmental dyslexia, we, can, we may have profound dyslexia. So it's not like two dyslexic students are the same, which means that your student A is this, does not mean, it does not mean that student B will be the same. So common traits, let's say, of dyslexia is difficulty getting ideas on paper, 
organizational problems, they very often get lost. They can't find the right, right word. They have problems not taking, they are easily distracted. They have problems with phonemic awareness and phonemic hearing. So this is something that has to be first diagnosed and students should have the test. Acadians, for example, divorce at the very beginning of the journey, if that's possible. The students lose their place in the text. They have very often handwriting difficulties. They tend to have problems with alphabet, right, and dates and sequences, as I have said, and losing place in the text, or they have problems with moving or overlapping text, so they do not understand that, that right, that you have to make space. So if we just summarize it, it's spatial writing lesson in Spain, reading, motor control, and memory difficulties. Of course, as I have said, it will differ from student to student. So what are the signs of dyslexia? Let's say we go to the ESL multilingual classroom, maybe classroom where we have bilingual dyslexic students. So what are they, like, the signs that each teacher should notice? So students have difficulty copying information from the board. They can seem disorganized and forgetful. They are slow to recall information or find the correct word from the memory. They have difficulty learning sequences. They are quick to forget new vocabulary. They have difficulty with prefixes, suffixes, and the root of the word. Right? That, that seems really difficult. So what very often teachers do? They say, oh, they should not learn a second language, or maybe they should teach their first language, right? If we talk about bilingual students or multilingual students, oh, maybe they, just, they should just focus on the language of instruction. So actually, I would not recommend that. Dyslexic students can be multilingual, they can learn several languages, it requires more work. And yes, it is hard. By all means, it is hard. However, it is possible. So what are the symptoms, let's say, or what can you see when a dyslexic student is writing? So there will reverse sequences of letters, there will flip letters such as D, B and P. They have problems spelling words. They will be changing tenses mid-sentence, so we'll have like chunk of sentences without any meaning. They'll have unorganized ideas and very often they will struggle with punctuation. So let's say if there is a long sentence, they will just struggle with punctuation. So how can science help education? As we know, there has been a lot of research and neuroscience has made lots of advances in that field. First of all, reading is not natural to us humankind. I know many people will say, oh no, like I was reading when I was two, I was reading when I was three, it was so easy. So for the 5% of the population will learn to read effortlessly, literally effortlessly. Then 30% of the population will learn with a little bit of help, but like a tiny help. So then we have 35%, right? So we have 65, if I can't collect. Then we have that 40% of the population that will need structured literacy in the classroom. And then we have the bottom, the rest, that will need remedial help. But they are more than able to learn to read and they are more than able to learn to read in other languages. So, reading requires specialized individual system for shapes, letters and connecting the speech sound. There's Stanislaus Dien in his amazing book, Reading the Brain Rights. Then teaching letter sound correspondence is essential. And as Professor Shanahan said, we do not teach phonemes in the dark. They have to be paired. Brain research converges with educational research. So teaching letter sound correspondence is the fastest way to acquire reading and comprehension. I will not be talking about simple reading. It is interesting, but it is just a general podcast that once the correspondence is learned, so once they are learned, the self-teaching can occur. So children can decipher words, recognize them auditorily, and then access the meaning. So this develops a second direct route from vision to reading. So we have meaning, sounds, and letters. So that's what the Stanislaus Dien says. 
I highly recommend this book, by the way. Reading the Brain is absolutely nothing but juice, juice, juice and meat, meat, meat when it comes to reading science. So now let's talk about the dyslexic ESL learners' challenges. So first of all, they have fewer language models because the parents may not speak the, let's say, English language. Very often there is the background because they don't have access to the modeling in the second language, as obvious, right? And time constraints because they are in a classroom and very often they have other subjects. And so what can be done um, in that uh, situation? So when it comes to bilingual assessment should be uh, applied when we talk about bilingual students. The diagnosis, if we talk about children who are in not in the, let's say, country of the first language, but let's say they're, yeah, they're living in the other country. So the diagnosis would require an expert assessment in the first language, and they should be given help when it comes to education of an SLP, right, and professionals who specialize in helping people to communicate. Again, if the child lives in another country, the SLP should be bilingual, and there should be bilingual teacher supports. Now we're talking about a child who is bilingual or ESL student, multilingual, but they live in the other country. What about if the child ESL learner, right, and they live in the, in the home country? So first of all, okay, Again, we'd start with a speech language pathology, so SLP, for starters. Then, what should happen is that the teacher should have the knowledge how to work with dyslexic ESL students. So now, let me go to the gist. Very often when it comes to um, ESL education, students with dyslexia are um, maybe not treated, but they receive the same instruction as the, as the peers who are not dyslexic. So let's say uh, uh, the, the program is focused on whole language, by what I mean, reading entire words, right? Because that's the second language, so we are not teaching them the same way we teach this, the first language when you follow the, the language system and structured literacy. And that's the first mistake. So dyslexic students should be taught the language as a system. And by that, I mean, we should go, as I said, to the very basics of the language. So go back to phoneme, graphing, representation. They should be taught the sound and the letter correspondence. And I know it can be challenging, however, that's how reading works. So in general, in the ESL classroom, the classroom should be focused on structured literacy. The students should receive structured literacy intervention in the English language. And I know that's challenging. And then again, being an ESL student or learning English is not only about reading, right? Students struggle with a variety of subjects. Let me give an example. The student has problem with reading, but he also has a problem or she with grammar. Let's say there is a sentence, John has a cat. But then John has to be substituted for he. And the student does not understand that. And it's a common problem for many children. And then, and again, instead of telling students, oh, John is he, he is John, right? We can dive in and apply multisensory grammar. The second reason is, instead of color overlays that do not work, we should give students more time for answer. Make sure that the student receives remedial help. For sequencing, again, the speech learning pathologies or remedial teacher would be an amazing solution for such a student. And furthermore, if student is taught letter sound correspondence, they can digest the language, so as to say, and understand it better. Then with students in younger grades, absolutely letter formation is crucial because letter formation translates to writing and spelling. Spelling is the gateway to skilled reading. If you are a teacher, if you're interested in research, I highly recommend the work of Linda Uri and her orthographic mapping. So as we know, when the word is orthographically mapped, it's been read, so it's been stored in the lot of memory, we can retrieve it and we can read the word. So just to summarize, because I know I've been talking for too long, what, how can we work with dyslexic ESL multilingual bilingual students? A. Use multisensory grammar. 
so that the student understands the grammar concepts. Use graphing phoneme representation. The sound should be paired with a letter. Not in the doubt, not only sounds. I know that very often teachers say, oh, this is P, this is K, or they, they were students seen um, ABC, the, the alphabet sound. It does not work. Every sound should be paired with a letter. That's B. See, letter formation, especially in younger grades, is crucial. Letter formation is the, is the door to skills writing. Then, grammar and reading, but also spelling. So when it comes to spelling, I know I have been talking about it for quite a while, but structured word inquiry, so examining words, um, phonology, etymology, and morphology is really helpful because it gives the student understanding of what the word means. So it, they are in, the, in charge. And that takes me to another point. The students should be empowered. Very often what I'd say as a teacher, I say, look, uh, we've, le we've learned this way, it doesn't work. It's not about you the, the, the method, it's just you need something different. So the students should be empowered. I would also celebrate dyslexic thinking because dyslexic individuals are resilient. Well, obviously they are resilient because of all the unfortunate situations and very often trauma, unfortunately, that they experience. However, I would celebrate the dyslexic thinking. When it comes to learning in the classroom, I would chunk down the information to as little as possible. As little as possible, just chunk it down and make sure they can retrieve it. Do not overflow them with words because they do get lost and it applies to ADHD students as well. And I would, if I'm a teacher, I know this is a tricky subject, right? Because we do not want to, to start off on the wrong foot with um, parents or maybe a principal or other teachers. However, sometimes if, if you may suggest, for example, ask like the parents like in a nice and gentle way, has there been a diagnosis? You know, maybe that's something you could consider because diagnosis is not the end of the world. If you are diagnosed as dyslexic, you, we have the tools and we know how to help the student. You know, it's very, very helpful. And now. Now it's the meaty part. So there's so much more I would like to say, obviously, because it is such a vast subject and I could be talking for hours and hours and hours and it would not be enough. But I would like to finish off with some useful resources for parents and the teachers. So I know that Stephen Crush and Chomsky are very popular in the ELT classroom. However, if you are an English teacher, I would highly suggest diving into Elsa Cardenas Hagan. I will, um, write her name and I'll put her reference um, in the caption of my podcast. Uh, she's a speech uh, SLP, speech learning language, language pathologist. She works with a Spanish-English population in the USA. She specializes in bilingual and ESL students. So I would highly recommend her books. If you are a teacher, maybe you are a parent and you cannot access resources or you cannot afford it. You know, we never know what's happening in the background. So, um, I'm going to share some useful resources that are cheap as chips and can be very helpful. So if you are working with younger students or maybe you're a parent and your child is in younger grades, Jolie Phoenix, that program is really very, very good if your child is in kindergarten or up to grade three. I would highly recommend it. There are resources, there are webbooks, there, there are videos that you can uh, watch on YouTube. If your child is older, then I would highly suggest toe by toe Hornet Literacy Primer and WordWasp. So again, these resources will be, um, references for these resources will be uh, in my podcast caption. So you can just dive in and, and read it. And now I said something special is coming. So I have been working in the ELT industry for almost 20 years. I have been working with dyslexic students. I have been working with teachers who work with dyslexic ESL, bilingual, multilingual students. And as I have said before, 
I love sharing my knowledge. I love sharing my knowledge. I love seeing my students thrive. I love seeing teachers thrive. Especially that when you teach, work with dyslexic ESL population, or dyslexic ESL students or bilingual, it's not that easy, right? We do not have a lot of resources. So we do not have a lot of resources, but there's always a solution. So I am working on a series of um, challenges, but not a series of challenges, on a three-day masterclass for teachers who work with dyslexic ESL bilingual multilingual students in general 2023. And I'm preparing two little ebooks that will be free. So if you are interested or would like to be notified first and get my ebook multisensory grammar, or you would like to take part in my challenge in January 2023, or would like to join my webinar structured by inquiry for ESL teachers, I will be more than happy. There is a Google form in the episode caption, so if you could fill in, I will be forever grateful. It will give me more insight into what teachers need. And I'm here to serve you and help you. So I would really appreciate it. And this is it. Thank you for listening to me. If you have listened to the entire podcast, I am very happy. If you have any questions, feel free and reach out to me. You can um, rate my podcast. I will be forever grateful. And talk to you soon. Have a great day. Thank you. And bye.